Hello, everybody, and welcome to Last First Day, the podcast where I, Billy Gleason, lead guests from all over the entertainment industry back through one more perfect day of school. Why? Well, their schools happen to have reached out to me and told me they were technically one day short of graduating. I know, rubbish. However, due to my magical powers in the space of 45 minutes to an hour each week, I'm able to walk someone back through the halls of the Last First Day Academy and get them fully graduated again, living out one more day of all their favourite classes, all their favourite teachers, all their favourite lunches, all their favourite everything, before spending the last moments of the day sharing their advice with the kids of today. Then they're all graduated again and everything is fine. Now, if you've joined us before, you'll know exactly how the format goes. If you haven't, I highly recommend going back and checking them out just last week i was joined by rebecca lowe from the premier league coverage on nbc and she was a delight the week before that will buxton from formula one and drive to survive and he was a delight and the week before that my friend Stephen denano from catalyst wrestling who was an absolute delight so let's keep a good thing going we're hopping back across the atlantic this week coming back from the uk but staying under king charles's reign r.i.p lizzie as we go to canada for the first time the last first day podcast is going to a school in canada for the first time the last first day podcast is going to a performing art school and for the first time the last first day podcast is going to talk to philip jeremick Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next installment of the Last First Day podcast. My guest today is someone I'm very excited to introduce you to, a comedian and writer who I've known for many years now, based here in New York, has performed at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, the Upright Citizens Brigade in LA, the Second City in Toronto, so many other places, sometimes as themselves, sometimes as their Australian alter ego, Saturday Jones, both are a riot, is also a writer for the Disney Channel on the show hamster and gretel so be sure to check that out too but i love them you're gonna love them as much as i do by the end of this podcast if you don't already so without further ado let's just get into it my guest today philip jeremick philip how are you sir Ah, oh, i'm good hello billy hello. how are you i'm doing very well thank you very much mate it's actually been a little while since we've seen each other i'm not sure how many years In at this point 20 21 22 to four almost four years that's, that's crazy just for context for everybody at home philip and i actually worked on a pilot a few years ago that was where we first met and you know we share war stories from there it was a delight mm -hmm. to work together but i'm so glad we've stayed in contact ever since and now you're over at Hamster and Gretel, and yes. can you just start there for us? Tell us a little bit about that. How was how was that life? Well, I actually got the job through another friend of ours on that same pilot that never saw the light of day. Uh, <laughs> she ended up in animation, and then I thought, hey, wait a minute. This is comedy writing. It's just a different kind of comedy writing. Yeah. So I begged and pleaded and wrote packets and clawed my way and now I work in animation. I never thought I would, but it's a lot of fun. How big is the team of writers over there at Hamster and Gretel? How many people you work there with? There are seven or eight of us, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Is that one of the bigger teams you've worked with as writers, one of the smaller teams, about average? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you were in late night or a scripted half-hour comedy, it would probably be double the people right. but you know it's my first job in animation so as far as i know this is a normal sized room but yes for me it is the largest number of people and yeah we all kind of do our own episodes but then we also collaborate and everyone has their hands in everyone else's episodes we punch each other's stuff up we make it funnier yeah. uh so yeah, it is very collaborative but you still get to 
like your script, it's kind of your baby, you know? Mm. And tell us a little bit about your other experience to this point. You're a stage performer in and around New York. Is there anything you want to tell people about or to look out for in the near future? I wish I had a date for it. But as you mentioned in your intro, uh, I do stand up and characters. And now that I write full time, I don't do it as much as mm-hmm. I would like. But there's one character that has really just plucked at the heartstrings of many (laughs) for some reason. And it's this character I play, Saturday Jones, Mm. who's um, an Australian weather woman who grew up in a shack in the desert and just clawed her way to the top. And I host a variety show as this person. And so I have musical guests and, you know, stand-up comedians, etc. And I read from her autobiography called Shit to Hit, which has very colorful tales about her checkered past and her rise to the top. Uh, so it's a character that audiences seem to really love. So Saturday Jones, most often performed at the Duplex Cabaret. Check their website, I guess, because it's at some point soon I will do it this <laughs> spring. But then my background is, yeah, I went to theater school in Canada. So I grew up in Toronto and I went to this very, very proper, intense theater school, you know, one of those places where they break you down so we can build you back up again. It was an experience, (laughs) which taught me, you know, I went in going, yeah, I want to be a real actor and do Shakespeare and all this. And then by the time I was graduating, I was like, no, I just want to make people laugh. And I want to like eat regularly. So I don't want to do regional theater. And so sketch comedy was born out of that because a friend of mine who was at school with me, she and I basically would make fun of our professors all the time. And this turned into this like character show where we rented a loft next to a strip club and across from a fire station. So soundproof wise, it was terrible. And that was our first comedy show. And then I did second city moved here at UCB, etc. So that's how the comedy kind of all started. I want to speed back to where you said about being at the school in Toronto and yes. them breaking you down and building you back up. Are you a believer that for the people who go into the acting world that that is something that needs to happen? Or is this that silly, archaic thing that they sort of make you do that just causes people to quit and say, no, I'm going to do something else? I think it's the latter. (laughs) It's the short answer. There's no need for it. Uh, I think they do it so that it legitimizes their reputation and gives them cachet in a way. Because, you know, theater school is this very nebulous thing where you at 830 in the morning do yoga and Pilates followed by like Gregorian chants. And so I think they need to legitimize a lot of what is sort of nonsense. Mm. And a lot of it is not nonsense. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, we had a voice class where... We had to like roll around breathing for like an hour. The single most insane thing in theater school was we had this movement class and we one day had to explore oil. That was the assignment. We came in, we were lying down on the floor and our teacher who spoke like this, it was had this affectation. She said, today we're going to explore oil. You can be any kind of oil you like. You can be a very fragrant, expensive olive oil. You can be motor oil. You can be any oil you like. And so we just had to writhe on the floor for an hour and a half being oil 
and it was nauseating because, of course, in those days, you think your face right now, this, this, <laughs> this was real. You think, oh, my God, no, I have to prove myself. I'm a real actor. Like, this is what being a real actor is. I have to be oil. And so we would work ourselves into, like, nausea and exhaustion. And so we thought, <laughs> I wish I was making this up. We thought, okay, we've explored oil. It can't get any crazier than this. The next week in the same class, all right, everyone, today we're going to explore vinegar. We did vinegar. It was ridiculous. Um, and so for the first couple of years of theater school, I was like trying to be a good student and a good actor. And I was like, yeah, I guess I need to do all this stuff. But in the back of my mind, I thought, isn't there some kind of acting where you just go in and you are talking to your acting partner and playing with props and it just feels normal. And then in like our second or third year, we had a professor who did just that. We did the Stella Adler technique with her and it blew my mind because I was like, oh, this is what I thought this should be all along where she said, if I have a cup and I say to you in this scene, I can't believe this, Billy. This shows how, what a bad actor I actually am. I'm like, I can't believe this, Billy. And then I slammed the cup down at the end of that line. This is what we would learn with her. She was like, if you choreograph your prop work in great detail so that you know that at the end of that line, I put that cup down and then I grab this coat on this hook and then I turn around and, you know, have an argument with you. Once you choreograph all your like business, mm. it becomes second nature and you can just focus on your acting partner. It was so freeing because I was like, Doo -doo -doo, opening this drawer on this line, closing this cabinet on this line. And it was like, oh, I'm like a real person in a real house. Yeah. That was nice. That seems almost like playing an instrument or something. You know, you're singing a song, yes. but you know, like when you're playing the notes and you do it, that's, that's a really interesting. Yeah, there was something very technical about it that allowed the non-technical parts to just kind of happen. So yeah. that was refreshing. That was more useful than being oil or vinegar. I was uh, an acting kid myself in college as well. And I remember the class for me that changed everything. I don't know if you took this was clown. Um, oh, I did. To this day, I adore Clown, and I think... I loved it, too. Oh, if you if you haven't done it, I know there are people that hate it because some people can't figure it out. It's really, really foreign to them, and mm -hmm. it gets really frustrating. But the main premise of the whole thing is really don't think about it. Like, stop yeah. thinking about it. If you're thinking about it, we can see that you're thinking about it. Precisely. And it doesn't look genuine. It looks like, you know, you're trying to remember to close the cabinet as opposed to just closing the cabinet because yeah. you feel the need to close the cabinet or you're entering just because you know you're supposed to enter on that word as opposed to just feeling the moment and just walking in when it feels mm -hmm. right. And Clown was the one that absolutely changed it for me and I feel like I watch actors now that I can see if they've taken clown or if they haven't. It just changes your perspective on how you perform completely. Yeah, and we totally. would never be in oil, vinegar, Russian dressing, whatever, <laughs> whatever. We were just in the moment. And that was never a break you down thing. It was never a forget everything. It was, sure, you've exactly. got all these other tools, but stop focusing so much on those tools that they're, they're there they're, they exist within you precisely we had one professor that said technique is technique and you mm. use it in rehearsal but once you're on the stage you don't want the audience to see your technique it's just no. just trust that it's there yeah such an interesting uh, way of putting it i love that cool. but 
I do have a serious thing to talk to you about, and I'm so sorry to bring this up. It's always awkward. It's never going to get easier. I got a call earlier this week mm. from your school, from your high school. I actually, I, I couldn't quite hear the name of the high school when they said it over the phone. What was the name of your high school? Yeah, you know, it's a mouthful, Billy. It is the Etobicoke School of the Arts. Right, yeah. No, I thought the phone line just got a bit messed up, but I guess that's actually what they said. Yeah. So the Etobicoke School of the Arts? Correct. And this was this was in Toronto? It was in Toronto, in Etobicoke. In Etobicoke, in fact, which, which we all know. A, we popular all know tourist it. destination. A, a suburb, a suburb of Toronto, yes. So the Etobicoke School of the Arts gives me a call and says... Billy, I'm so sorry. We don't have the heart to tell him, but we know you host this podcast. We're going to ask you to do it if you could. He was technically one day short of graduating. There was a clerical error in the system. We are so sorry, but to make sure that he's willing to do it and to make this as easy as possible, we're going to make it the perfect day of school. So all his favorite teachers, all his favorite classes, all his favorite lunches and what have you. So if you could have a chat with him, because I know, you know, you've got a close relationship with him and Saturday, it would just be fantastic. So would you mind doing that? So that's me asking you now, mate, would you mind going back to school for just, just one day so we can make sure your Etobicoke School of the Arts degree is valid? I mean, I'm all for scholastic credibility, so <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go to Canada. Let's go to Etobicoke. So this is the last first day of Philip Jeremy. Last first day. Philip, let's start with the easy one here. You said you went to Etobicoke School of the Arts. Tell us a little bit more about whereabouts that was. The Etobicoke School of the Arts is in a neighborhood in Toronto. Some would call it a suburb. Some would call it a neighborhood. Really, it's a neighborhood on the western edge of Toronto. And this was, at least in my day, a highly regarded school. It was the first performing arts high school in Canada. I think it opened wow. in like 1980 or 1981. And back in my day, you had to audition to get in. Of course, now we are living in the time of participation trophies, as we all know. And you no longer have to audition. Why would you? Why should it be a meritocracy? Yeah. That's silly. And it was a public school. So it was kind of perfect because it was free. It was a public school, but you still had to audition because you got additional education in the arts. So there were five what we called majors. It, there was drama, which surprise, surprise, I was in, <laughs> visual art, dance, musical theater, and band. Mm. And you auditioned for one of them. So if you auditioned for band, you had to, you know, come in with your violin or your cello or whatever. For visual art, you had to come in with your portfolio, et cetera. And of course, for drama, you had to do a monologue from an approved list. I think I did something from like Charlie Brown. You know, it's, okay. you're like in the eighth grade when you're auditioning. So it's, it's kid stuff. Mm. And that's it. And I really wanted to go there. A lot of people hated high school. I had the time of my life. If I could oh, wow. redo it all over again, I would do it tomorrow. It oh. was so much fun. Oh, that's great. Well, this is going to be a fun day then. You were auditioning at, what, 15 years of age? How old were you? 14, I guess. Wow. And did you have a yeah, lot of experience 14. to that point, auditioning and performing from a young age? I did audition as kind of a teenager and I would do, you know, commercials and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, I wanted to get an agent. In middle school, I was in like a shittier arts program, but at, at a middle school I went to, I remember going into, so middle school mm. guidance counselor, me and two of my friends went into his office and we were like, we heard about this place, the Etobicoke School of the Arts. We really want to audition. And he basically tried to dissuade us from doing it. He was like, yeah, I mean, you could, but you know, it's really hard and a lot of people don't get in. So basically he was like, don't do it. And then we did. Yeah. And two of the three of us got in. Well, let's relive this day you're looking forward to from the very, very beginning. So what did your routine look like? What sort of time did you get up? What was for breakfast? That is a blur. I mm. don't know what time I got up. I, I'm sure our classes didn't start before nine. Mm. And I lived close to the school. So this was the crazy thing about ESA, as we called the Etobicoke School of the Arts. Mm -hmm. Because you had to audition to get in. People came from all over the city, whereas, you know, usually you go to the school in your neighborhood. At ESA, if you lived near the school, you were an anomaly. Mm. Um, and it just so happened that my parents moved when they were like, oh, you want to go to this school? And they wanted to move to that part of the city anyway. But most kids would take the subway for like an hour or take like two buses to get to the school every single day. Wow. And I just took the number 15 bus for... 15 minutes, mm. the 15 for 15 minutes, door to door. That's how my day would start. I would have some sort of Eastern European breakfast that my Serbian mother would concoct for me. Okay. And then I would walk to the end of my street to catch the number 15 bus. And I totally forgot about this until you just mentioned the routine. Back in those days, kids, we had what was called a CD player, a portable <laughs> CD player. And in my backpack, I had you know, one of those folders that would hold various CDs. And so little gay 14-year-old Philip would be walking up the street, putting a Michael Buble CD into his CD player and just, and you know how they would skip. So I had to like hold it. Picture me in an oversized winter coat, walking down the street of the suburbs, gingerly holding this like Discman and listening to, you know, start spreading the news or like whatever covers Michael Buble did. So I think I had a few CDs in my rotation. It was Michael Buble. Mm. It was maybe like the best of the Spice Girls mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. which at the time even was like retro. Yeah. I mean, come on. Beloved. Belo oh. The most beloved women on earth as Timeless. far as I'm concerned. Timeless. On a previous episode, I had a conversation with someone about the Discman days, which I feel like was actually a much shorter lived time than maybe we give it credit for because, you know, we kind of came yeah. out of the Walkman time thinking Discman was going to last forever. And I remember at the very, very end of high school for me is sort of when mp3 players started yes, becoming exactly. a thing the previous episode he was joking about how he actually didn't have one of those books he had literally just the cases for all the cds and his, his <laughs> backpack was so heavy where did you again personal question i brought this up to the previous mm -hmm. person too where did you store the discman because i know you said had it in your hands to make sure it wasn't jiggling but was it more of a in the pocket of the coat was it a backpack you really had to strategically place no, it it was no i just held it in my hand every time <laughs> it no was how so big was. i was i'm not kidding i was walking picture this but a circle kids and <laughs> three times as big and i was just holding this big circular thing maybe i put it in my pocket i, I have such a clear memory of just holding it out because you know i had to skip songs yeah and 
switch cds <laughs> i'm just picturing you with a full-on record player you actually never had a, a discman at all you just grabbed basically. that off of your parents cabinet <laughs> this was miles before the volume being on the cable the skip track button being on the cable the the tapping of the headphones for bluetooth that was a pipe dream it's almost like you can compare it to the journey that vanna white has gone on on <laughs> wheel of what fortune a journey. she used to have to physically turn turn the squares and then she had to touch what looked like individual tv screens and now i think she just pretends to tap them and someone in a booth does the work i agree i've got a huge conspiracy theory against vanna white i don't want anyone to lose their job i don't want anyone to lose their job in this economy but mm -mm. absolutely not convinced she is doing a single thing up there on the stage i would say she has the best job on planet earth i agree and she's more of a treasure I'm just going to say it. She's more of a treasure than Pat Sajak. I've got my qualms with Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak's been phoning it in for decades. And Vanna, at least, even if Vanna's doing nothing, Vanna's giving it her all. Vanna's she's gi- giving it her all and now they let her wear pants it only took what 35 years how long has she been on that show <laughs> but pat looks to me like he has just walked out and you know he has all these cards he has all these notes he has not read them until the cameras start rolling 100%. and sometimes it feels like he's got the cards from the day before because it's like you know oh um larry you're a surgeon no i'm a, I'm a teacher oh yeah yeah you, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's what i meant to say he sort of puts down vanna i mean my boyfriend tells me he's really into american game shows Mm. and apparently pat and vanna go out for margaritas every friday and like get drunk together so they have a great relationship but on the air at the end of each show he sort of like makes a joke and every time she tries to sort of add something to it he basically is like shut the fuck up leave leave her alone. and they are also stealing a living you know when they do like the prize things and it will be come here to you know the beautiful resort in oahu do they just pay for you to go all over the world to do a three Maybe. second hit every time we got green screens we have green screens but we don't want to use I them i could talk about this all day we're just going to change the podcast i'm going to put new <laughs> theme music in here we're going to talk about game shows so that was your routine coming in holding your michael buble in your hands making sure that <laughs> yes. it didn't skip speaking uh, of national treasures by the way true canadian treasure i have to ask on the routine front as well were you a uniform school did you wear street clothes how was it oh no uh being a performing arts high school as it was it was a highly liberal, very artistic school. We would paint. So all of the classroom doors got like a new design painted on them every year by the students. We would change clothes in the middle of the hallway as our teachers were walking by. We would eat lunch sitting like you would sit with your group of friends and eat lunch next to your locker. Picture oh. yourself walking through the hallways of a you know, standard looking high school. And there's just hordes of kids sitting on the floor eating sandwiches by their lockers. And we had a cafeteria. And if you ate at a table in the cafeteria, you were a fucking loser. (laughs) 12 people did that. It was like, no, you get your lunch from your locker and you sit down with your friends and you eat in your little cluster. All of this is to say, it was a real devil may care, do what you want vibe. Right. That's why it was such a blast, you know? Did that ever bleed into the outside world like would you not sit at a table in the outside world oh i thought you meant like on the grounds of the school you mean no if i go to a restaurant i request to sit on the floor look at all these losers 
we have to move on to the actual classes themselves. Yes. And I want to get the bad stuff out of the way first so we know what not to okay. put on your schedule. Which classes, if any, did you dread? I really loved high school. There were two mm. or three classes that I did not like. Math, I was always terrible at math. And, you know, it was a performing arts high school, so most kids were bad at math. And we had this teacher... <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say her name because I feel bad for her, but remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, who was yeah. just this like purple, depressed, like sack of right. a living thing. This was this teacher. And it's not just that she was depressed. She was bad at math. Oh, no. She was a math teacher that was bad at math. And what would routinely happen is we would go to one of the other math teachers after school for extra help because our math teacher didn't know what she was doing. There was one funny moment. She, uh, one day, her door wouldn't stay open. And mm. I think she wanted to keep it open to like let the air through. And she had just gone through, from what I can remember, a very acrimonious divorce. Mm. And this friend of mine, she says to her very innocently, she goes, Miss, you should get your husband to like give you like a little piece of wood to stick in the door so it doesn't close. And her, she goes... I'll be bringing in the piece of wood. <laughs> and it was, we were like, Pia, she just got a divorce. Pia didn't know. At that so age, you just nod along. You're Thank, like, thanks okay. for the advice. Yeah, um, so that math class was dreadful. And then I really didn't like gym class mm -hmm. or PE or phys ed, whatever mm -hmm. they call it here. Because, and, and I stand by this, gym class, unless it is at the very end of the day, does not make sense in any kind of a school schedule anywhere. Think about it. Every class is this thing where you're like, you're wearing your street clothes or a uniform, you're sitting at a desk, and then suddenly in the middle of the day, let's run around and get sweaty and disgusting. We don't have showers, by the way. Oh, and then let's just put on our clothes and go back to our other classes after that. I've been on a war cry about this for years because also in the UK where I went to school, there was two versions. We had PE, which was usually the indoor one. So that was mm -hmm. maybe we would play basketball or volleyball. And then there was games, which games was the outdoor one. So that might be rugby or cricket or athletics or whatever so many times especially if you were in the younger classes you would start your day with games and this could be you know you playing rugby in november and getting right. covered in mud and scrapes and bruises and what have you and then you get out you have five minutes to turn it around to get to english i just felt bad for the teachers because yeah, then you're gross. sat there in geography afterwards with everyone smelling. Just panting and sweating. <laughs> yeah. And even at the end of the day, it's like, oh, great. I've got these kids that have been covered in sweat and mud for four hours that are just rancid. Yeah. It needs to be the last period. That should just be a rule, like an yeah. international rule. And luckily, our gym teacher, he was just this stoner like dad he knew how to read the room. He knew, God bless him, that he worked in a performing arts high school. So if you were just like, sir, I don't want to do this. He was like, all right, whatever. And so I would often like sit on the side reading magazines with the girls <laughs> while everyone else played sports. Yeah, he didn't care. Was he one of those GMP teachers that also 
doubled with other classes. I know some schools it's like, oh, the gym oh, teacher yes. does history. Yes, he did something else. I don't remember what, but we had a lot of that. I think a good gym teacher is like, I'm just going to let these kids run around because, yeah. you know, it's not bad for them to do so. And then if they, you know, have zero hand-eye coordination, who cares? The whole point of it is cardio. Basically, it's yeah, exactly. the whole point, the whole of, point of, it of it is exercise. Yeah. And I remember there being the teachers that are like, you know, we're going to do the rope or we're going to do pull-ups or whatever today. It's like, why we are you trying to put us that. in a military academy? No. We just need to run around and stay healthy is really all we need that to do. That was it. And because we were an arts high school, we did have sports teams and we would compete against other schools and we never ever ever won ever we were the esa eagles and it was a joke these are a bunch of kids like covered in paint you know like doing monologues you expect them to win at basketball (laughs) not gonna happen (laughs) i went to a grammar school in the uk where you know we had this rugby team we would have those games against other schools there were times where you know you would go up against really good schools and stuff and then sometimes schools that weren't so good i'll be honest if a performing arts school was on our schedule that would have been the greatest that we uh, that probably felt like a week off but there was one time we played a school that was on a reality show in the uk and you remember the movie school of rock yeah there was a reality show in the uk there was sort of a spin-off of that with gene simmons of kiss where he basically went into a school and tried to make like a rock band i want to say it was a super religious school like very okay this makes it amazing (laughs) oh it was honestly conceptually i'm surprised this show did not go the distance because i think it lasted maybe one season do you remember what it was called it was either gene simmons's rock school or uh, you know something It, it wasn't too far different from the name of the movie And so I guarantee you can find the name of the school right there, but it's escaping me right now. And they kind of had these, like we wore uniforms, but our uniforms just looked like kids in suits with a little emblem on it. Theirs was more like long socks over the pants that sort of looked a little Victorian era-y. And I just remember them getting off the bus as they came to play our school. They get off in these outfits, which us have kids are just like losing it amazing this is going to be a fun day we got our ass kicked by this school we were just like oh man this is so embarrassing they absolutely kicked the crap out of us pulled their socks back over their pants got the bus home and they were so happy about it that's amazing anywho out of the bad that's so funny math nowhere near the schedule gym pe nowhere near the schedule if it had to be us at the end of the day but we're not even doing it onto the good onto the things we do Mm -hmm. like to talk about it sounds like you have plenty But what were your favorite classes and also, you know, were there favorite teachers to come with it? Drama was obviously the favorite. It's why I went there. It's why I auditioned to go there. And there was this one teacher who actually, I would say, is the reason that I got into comedy to begin with. Her name was Miss Coles, Mary Ann Coles. She is sadly no longer with us. I remember on the first day of ninth grade, it was all sort of like in Harry Potter with the sorting hat how you put into your houses. So there was drama, visual arts, etc. And per year, there were two teachers for each major. So your ninth grade, what is that freshman here? Mm. You were put into one of two drama homerooms or one of two visual art homerooms, whatever you were there for. We were sat in the gym and the teachers would come up to a microphone and call our names. And there were two drama teachers. There was one who had like 
gray hair and like a big black shawl. And she was sort of, you know, your stereotypical drama teacher. And then there was Miss Coles, who had a hot pink sweater. She was in her 60s, maybe 50s, a blonde bob, a hot pink sweater, and carried a Louis Vuitton bag with her at all times, full of cigarettes. That's real drama. Forget the black scarf. And so picture like gay 14-year-old Phillips sitting there on the bleach. She's like, please let it be her. Please let it be her. Please let it be her. (laughs) And she talked like this. And whenever she left, her shoulders would go. (laughs) She was a glamorous Muppet with a smoker's voice. They're calling the names and she's like, Philip Jeremick. And I was like, thank God. This woman was just, I loved her so much. She legitimized comedy as an art form from the start. And I think, I really mean it. I think she was the reason I was like, hey, I want to pursue this because in the other teacher's class and the two drama rooms were right across the hall from each other. It was like painted black and, you know, you had to do like movement and then in Miss Coles's class, she taught us radio theater, the way we would do it, because obviously on a radio, you don't see the people. She would like put out this folding screen and she would make us perform radio theater behind the screen so that we could just focus on like hitting all the, um, the comic timing and everything right. just vocally without being seen. I mean, she was very clever wow. and we would take fairy tales and like modernize them and make them crazy. Meanwhile, across the hall in the other class, they were just doing waiting for Godot and all this serious stuff. And so she really loved comedy. It used to be an actress. We did the importance of being earnest. We did Neil Simon plays with her. It was like pretty sophisticated stuff. And on days that she did not feel like teaching, she would wheel in the TV and you as an Englishman will appreciate this. She would play episodes of Absolutely Fabulous for us. One of the greatest comedies ever created. Truly. And she would go sit in her car and smoke cigarettes. And it just so happened her room was on the ground floor and looked over the parking lot. And she would make up excuses. Like, she'd be like, I gotta go make some photocopies. And she would leave without anything to photocopy. Turn on AbFab and we'd look out the window and she was like... And then she played this bizarre song called Fernando's Hideaway. And if she thought we needed to let loose, okay, guys, we're doing Fernando's Hideaway. And she would play this weirdly like spooky song that went, I know a dark secluded place, a place where no one knows your face. Fernando's Hideaway, ole. I got to look it up. You should play it as the intro of that. I'm going to buy the rights to Fernando's Hideaway Um, now. So that was just the best class ever. She passed away while I was still in high school, just before I graduated. This is a testament to her popularity. People couldn't fit in the funeral home. There was a line down the street. They had to hire dozens of substitute teachers. Everybody went to this woman's funeral. Wow. Yeah, Miss Coles, she was the best. That's such a sweet story and such an incredibly cool class. So we're definitely starting the day oh, with yeah. drama class with Miss Coles, maybe a little bit of abfab thrown in oh, there yeah. just for old time's sake. What other classes? I know um, they can't they can't reach those heights, but we had this creative writing class called a writer's craft. Okay. So of course you had to do your standard classes like English, geography, history, whatever. And then you had your elective classes. And so writer's craft was basically this creative writing class taught by a teacher who had a shaved head and just tattoos over his entire body. And everyone just thought he was the coolest. And he was, he was a great guy. He was this chill, like tattooed dude who was like, yeah, like 
We're going to do Murakami, Haruki Murakami, who, those unfamiliar, is an amazing Japanese writer. In English class, you would do like the usual stuff, The Great Gatsby and, you know, Romeo and Juliet. And then in his class, he had a theme every year. The first year I had him, the theme was, what does it mean to be a moral individual? Mm-hmm. Pretty heady stuff for a bunch of kids, but he was also just like so sweet and fun. Where Miss Coles was sort of my discovery of like, wow, comedy is a real thing. He, I would say, was kind of the reason I got really into writing. It sounds like you had real drama teachers. I mean, Miss Coles was in Police Academy too. Really? In a non-speaking role. So, <laughs> yeah, we're talking the best of the best. Was she the sort of person that let you know that? We found out one day. I will never forget. This was so funny. We were like, Miss Coles, we found out you're in Police Academy too, and we rented it this weekend, <laughs> and we saw you. And she goes, well, one day you'll have a pass too, which was just like such a sassy response. Her role in it, she didn't have any lines. She was an attendee at a cocktail party wearing a white dress and she gets a bowl of punch spilled on her. And so we were like, what was it like on set? You know, we're like 14 years old. She was like, it was great. They washed the dress and they let me keep it. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. This is so funny. Her passions were theater and fashion and golf. And she lived in a condo directly across the street from a golf course. We would have like a big end of year play. And whenever the other drama teacher did them, they were like these serious, intense plays. And when Miss Coles did them, they were like outrageous door slamming comedies. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she did a Neil Simon play and the whole thing takes place in a really elegant living room. Mm. It was a high school. So there's like no budget for nice furniture. And Miss Coles wanted it to look nice. So she hired movers to move her own living room furniture onto the stage and the show i don't remember how long it ran probably only a week or two and we were like is your like apartment just fully empty and she's like yeah i've been sitting on the floor but who cares the show looks great she was amazing but sitting on the floor is what the cool kids do that's right if we needed three classes total if we needed one more class that you got picked as a favorite what is it i liked English a lot. Mm. Maybe that's too similar to writer's craft. We had this real sassy Caribbean English teacher. She was like very by the book. She was one of those teachers where she made it very clear what she wanted from you. And if you just gave her that, she loved you. I'm not going to do her accent because I'll get canceled. (laughs) But she was a very fun middle-aged lady from Trinidad. Mm. And when we would like read aloud from Shakespeare and she would assign herself the best parts. So she would be like, I'm going to be Lady Macbeth. You be like villager number three. And so, you know, I guess like get your kicks where you can. You know, I respect it. You know, a lot of people were just like, oh, she's so strict. She was just like, listen, here's your introductory paragraph where you state your thesis or whatever. Here's the thing. And then in the concluding paragraph, just like restate what you did at the beginning. I care about grammar and punctuation. And it's you're just like, all right, you just give her what she wants. Mm-hmm. But I'm like trying to express myself, not in her class. Okay. So she's there to express herself. You are just the audience. <laughs> Absolutely. On a daily basis. Thank you very much. All right. We've got the classes. So this is what we got your day laid out so far. Let's do a quick speed through. So mm-hmm. maths, GMP, nowhere near your schedule. We do nope. start your day with drama mm-hmm. with Miss Coles, maybe a little ab fab sprinkled in there that starts oh, your oh. day. And then when you get out of that class, you're going into the tattooed head of writer's craft. Maybe after that, you got a little bit of recess. Was recess a thing in your school? Um, I don't think we had recess in high school. We may have had like little breaks. 
Mm. No, come to think of it, no. I don't think we just had like the lunch hour. So then we go, let's move up to then your lunch, which you kind of already established. You're sitting on the floor outside of your lockers. Mm -hmm. Bring or buy. Was there a buying option or did you have to bring your own? Um, There was a buying option. I would often bring, there was a street, like a kind of like a main, a high street, as you would say. I would. Just a few blocks from the school that had a shitty burger place that was delicious and a pizza place. And I think that was kind of it. If you went out for lunch, you could go and get burgers or pizza but that would like eat at your time to kind of just sit and hang with your friends. So it was actually more common now that I think about it for kids to just bring their lunch. Cause then you got to just grab it from the locker and hang out more. Mm-hmm. And my lunch was always the exact same thing. My mother would make my lunch even in high school. Cause you know, she's a Serbian mother. English mothers are the same. Don't oh, worry about amazing. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my mother would make me these like very Eastern European sandwiches that would consist of the following white bread, salami, pickles mayonnaise and like some sort of like sharp cheddar and by the time you got to the middle of the day the mayonnaise would get kind of like room temperature and like soak into the bread my mouth is watering thinking about it whenever she would try to stray from this and like switch it up i'd be like what the fuck is this give me my salami and pickle sandwich it's all i wanted to this day i make these sandwiches and delicious You've gone through all these classes. You have had a wonderful experience. You do have to give back a little now just to finish it off. There is an advice portion of the day where you now go into the great hall, whatever it is. The auditorium. The auditorium. Of course, it was a performing arts The Nancy Main Auditorium. You're in the auditorium, the Nancy Main Auditorium, Mm -hmm. and you have to share your advice with the kids of today who are hoping to maybe be someone like you, God help them. (laughs) (laughs) Or if it's just, you know, you don't want them to make the same mistakes you did. What are you telling the kids of today? I would tell them to follow their curiosity. I kind of think if you're 15 or 50 or 34, which I am, it's kind of like all you can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that way, you know, you can avoid or at least attempt to avoid doing things you don't want to do or going down a path in life that you may later regret because you thought, oh, I'm doing this because I should do it or because of societal pressure or whatever. We talk a lot about being passionate about things. And if you're lucky to have a a passion at a young age, great. But even if you're not passionate about something, maybe you're curious about something. Yeah. So I would say follow your curiosity always in life. And also, please just like abuse your body when you're young. Because when you're old, you can't. And it's true what they say, youth is wasted on the young. Like, I remember when I was 18, 19, because of course, the drinking age in Canada is is not 21, it's 19, Mm -hmm. 18 in Quebec. Mm -hmm. So when I was like 18, 19, I would go dancing at gay clubs like every single Friday and Saturday. I would get three hours of sleep and I would work an eight hour shift at this grocery store that I worked and I could do it like this. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you kids, one day your body will not let you do that. Your body is designed to take abuse when you are young, <laughs> when you are healthy and fit. So just fucking put it through the ringer. <laughs> Follow your curiosity and have fun. <laughs> Beautiful advice. I 
fully agree with the second point because I am 33 and just yesterday I had to go and get an MRI on my knee and the doctor <laughs> says to me, oh, so go. is it, do you play some sort of sport? Was this an injury or whatever? I'm like, you're like, no, nope. no, I haven't. I actually have not worked out in quite a few months. I've walked to the light rail stop. Oh, did you take a fall? Nope. No, none of that. Just been sitting watching TV most just of the 30. time. Just, just you suffer from being an extremely tall 33-year-old. I, I do, and I need to be reconstructed by doctors <laughs> having done exactly. zero activity. It's incredibly sad. And same as you, I come from a country where, you know, the drinking age was 18. So we even had, you know, one further year head start. We were like the Quebecois at that age. I just remember, you know, we would go out, we would drink. I don't think there was such thing as a hangover until I was about 24, right. 25. It you was would just, great. Oh, it was fantastic. If the next day we were going to visit Nan and Granddad, doesn't matter. I don't have, have to no factor clue. in yeah. the fact that I'm going out drinking the night before. I'd be totally fine. Exactly. Whereas now, I think I have two IPAs at like four o'clock the day before going to yeah. a family function. I'm out. I'm wearing sunglasses. I'm sat in the corner. I'm just like, I can't do this. Thank you again so much, mate. So I'm going to have a quick, quick run through of your day once again. So you wake up. Let's do it. First thing in the morning. You can't remember what time, but you wake up, you have your little Eastern European breakfast, whatever that might have been. You mm -hmm. grab the number 15 bus for 15 minutes to go to Etobicoke School of the Arts. You're going in, your start of your day is with Miss Coles in drama. It's absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's tobacco everywhere. Ab Fab is in the air playing Fernando's Hideaway. You talk about Police <laughs> Academy too. The next class, you go into writer's craft with the tattooed head teacher who is just teaching you so many different things about the world. Then you get to your English class with the sassy Caribbean woman who is just performing for you. Just sit back, just take it all in. It's yeah. going to be wonderful. <laughs> She's Lady Macbeth you shut your mouth i'm going to perform yeah. you have your lunch your wonderful white bread mayo salami pickle sharp cheddar sandwich sat on the floor and then your advice at the end of the day to the kids follow your curiosities abuse your body enjoy <laughs> your life philip jeremick this has been an absolute pleasure and i just want to congratulate you for finishing your last wow. first day Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And thank you for um, reconstructing what really was a blast. I loved high school and you just took me right back. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Before you go, is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to share with the audience? I am working on a little project. I feel stupid plugging it because it doesn't have a name yet. But you know what? If you follow me on Instagram, it will eventually be ready for public consumption. That is at Mr. Philip, Mr. the whole word, and Philip with an F, M-I-S-T-E-R-F-I-L-I-P. I've already started shooting it. It's not out yet. It's a comedic take on New Yorkers' apartments and their interiors. So look out for that little Instagram series that will be coming out soon. Go to that Instagram to see if maybe Saturday Jones swings by. I'm a real Instagram whore. I got rid of Twitter and of Facebook. I... What am I, 60? I know. No. I know. Philip, an absolute pleasure. Thank you once again, and congratulations you, for graduating from Last First Day Academy. Uh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so ends another Last First Day at the Last First Day Academy. Thank you so, so much to Philip Jeremick for joining us for his Last First Day for the first last time. And a breaking news alert from Philip Jeremick's camp. He has actually just informed me that Saturday Jones will be performing in Manhattan on April 25th at Don't Tell Mama at 8pm. So go and get those tickets now to go and see Saturday Jones here in New York. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate the podcast. It means the world. Write a comment about the most ridiculous lunches you had at school. I want to hear your stories. Be sure to join me again next week when I'm going to have another fantastic guest from the entertainment industry in the halls of the Last First Day Academy so they can relive one more perfect day. But until then, class dismissed.